And good morning. Let's welcome back Dr. David Hilden back to his uh, his uh, big chair here in the studio. Actually, you're standing as I am. I was yeah. going <laughs> to. Yeah, thanks, Denny. It's good to be back. Yeah. I, I, I had a nice weekend off, and, and indeed, I'm standing. Many people don't know that, you know, we're not just sitting around eating no, bonbons drinking and coffee here. and things like that. So no, we're maybe coffee, but that's that's about it. Exactly. Uh, it's good to have you back. We were doing an open line show today, and folks who know, who are regular listeners, as you know, doctor, means uh, your general health questions for Dr. Hilden. Uh, that means the whole hour. So if you do have a question, and when we do these open line shows, we're busy. You're busy. Uh, calling, folks call, and they're calling right now, as a matter of fact, and sending text already as well. So if we do have a general health question for Dr. Hilden, by all means, bring it to us now. It's kind of an exciting time. We're going to talk more about that with uh, Hennepin Healthcare. Uh, 651-989-9226. Call now. We've got open lines. Or uh, send the doctor your text, 81807. Lots happening. Was it tomorrow is a big day? Tomorrow's a huge day. It's a huge day. It's going to be huge. Um, Hennepin Healthcare, my employer, is uh, is launching a new era in healthcare, and you know that sounds so corny when I say that, but it's really it's true. And I and I'm fully on board. I've been going to our new clinic and specialty center for a good two or three years since it was a parking lot. Then it became a huge hole in the ground. Yes. Then it was a whole bunch of steel beams and girders and cranes. And I, I got the opportunity to give tours of the building, even when it was just the sheetrock wasn't even on the walls. And I got to talk to the craftsmen and craftswomen who have made that building. And it's done. And uh, I've been in it now. And just this past week, I was touring one of the state-of-the-art operating rooms. They are unbelievable. And it's so cool to see what an operating room looks like. When you're not like flat on the gurney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can take a, Better look, perspective. take a look around. So the new clinic and specialty center has some 300, something like that, clinic rooms, you know, in pediatrics and women's health and, and in primary care. And, but it's more than just, and it has, it's more than that though. It has, like I just said, seven operating rooms for same day surgery. And the, the flow for patients through the new building is just gorgeous. And it's so, so much thought about um, how it's like to be a patient. We had patients actually on the planning council to say, "This is what we don't like." Some good input. Then. Yeah, we don't. This is what we don't like about when we go to uh, to get our surgery, or this is what we don't like when we go to a clinic, and this is what we do like. And so we've incorporated all of that into the design, and so all those um, years of planning all come to fruition tomorrow, uh, March twenty sixth. The first. The doors get flung wow. open, and the doors work. I've checked them all out. <laughs> it all works. Everything's in place. We are moving literally some clinics over the past two or three days. So you see people with dollies bringing over you know, their, their files and all that. And the CT scanner I saw got, got put in. It was wheeled in you know, a few weeks ago, and there's an MRI. The whole thing is just so state-of-the-art that it's very exciting. You know it's, what I want to talk about, if I may, briefly? Because yeah. you, you at, at Hennepin get people from not only Twin Cities but all around the area. What about parking? How easy oh, is it going to be for exactly. parking? Exactly. And I, I have friends who will base their life on what's the parking like. <laughs> yeah. I'll go there if the parking's good. I won't if it's not. Two full underground floors of parking right in the building so you don't have to – um, uh, drive around downtown Minneapolis. Gee, I wonder where I'm going to find a That's meter. That's smart. That's yeah, good. And there's an entrance right there at the building. It's underground, and the elevators from the parking ramp go right to the floor you want. So you don't have to go to the first floor, roam around forever. 
trying to find your clinic space, you can go directly to the floor you need, check in right there. If you have more than one visit in the building on the same day, you don't have to keep checking in. That's another really nice thing because, you know, what? It, one of the things patients told us they don't like about going to clinics are all those questions you get asked at the registration oh, desk. Yeah. Let me see your insurance card. Is this your address? Is this your phone number? Has anything changed? Well, you have to do that to register at one, at one time. But what if you have a second appointment the same day and they ask you all the same stuff again? <laughs> wait, wait. Didn't you just ask me that? So we're not going to do that. We have a passport system. So once you've checked into one appointment, you just go to your second one and scan it in. And, and they know, okay, I've arrived for my second appointment. You don't have to answer all those questions again. That's so smart. That's it's really good. good. It's right here in downtown Minneapolis, Hennepin Healthcare's new clinic and specialty center. It is literally a new era in healthcare. We're moving something like 30 or 40 clinics from all other places of our campus to this one location. You know, I mentioned primary care and surgery. It also has um, traumatic brain injury. It has the best physical therapy gym I've ever seen. It's floor to ceiling window. So if your loved one is recovering from a stroke or a traumatic brain injury, or some other kind of trauma, and you're learning to walk again, literally learning to walk again, you get to do it in this bright, open space with windows. It's just beautiful. And so um, that's the kind of stuff that leads to healing. We're trying to provide more than just a sterile clinic, you know, just a fluorescent, lit, ugly, sterile place. We're trying to make it someplace where there's healing. So if you are healing from a, a bad accident or a stroke, it's, it's just a, a lovely healing place. So Clinic and Specialty Center opens up tomorrow, March 26th. If you want more information, go to hennepinhealthcare.org. That, by the way, is our new website, hennepinhealthcare.org. If you type HCMC, it'll, it'll direct you there. HCMC is not going away. It is the hospital. But we're so much more than just one hospital. We're clinics like the new building, the new Clinic and Specialty Center. We're, but we're also clinics throughout the metro area. We're so much more. We're home health care. Hennepin has a hospice called Hospice of the Twin Cities. We have a visiting nurse association. And um, so we are hennepinhealthcare.org. That's where you can get more information. And I'll talk a little bit more later in the show, perhaps in the second half. But this, indeed, is an open line show. So let's it talk is. some health All right. We have callers. We have texters, doctor. Uh, Janice is calling from New Hope with a question. Uh, Janice, good morning. You're on CCO. Hello. I was wondering, since you're a doctor, what you would require us who are doing our health care directives to have in there to help you guys out. Janice, that is the greatest question. Thanks for asking that, and it's so important. Um, the number one thing you should do in your advanced directive, your health care, is to name someone to be your decision maker and make sure you've talked to that person. Number one. Um, um, in other words, name a loved one, a trusted person who can help us to try to determine what your wishes would have been had you been able to tell us. Because all of us are trying to do one thing when people have healthcare decisions that they can't make, like near the end of their life. We're all trying to do what you would have wanted. So the best way to do is tell somebody what you would want and name them in your healthcare directive so that they can try to make a decision on your behalf. That's number one. Number two, try to tell us um, what your goals are for the end of your life. If you can in your healthcare directive to say, do you know what? 
I really, really want to see my child, my grandchild graduate from high school, which happens in two years. Please do whatever you can to keep me going till then. That sounds specific, but that's actually helpful. You know, and if you don't, other people might say, whatever you do, don't put me on a breathing machine. Don't, don't shock my heart. If there's some specific things like that, it's good to know those, but goals are very important. Some people say as long as I can um, be alert and conscious and I can watch uh, the Minnesota Vikings on TV, that's a good quality of life for me. So say that. Um, I don't have to be able to do cartwheels. I just need to be able to be awake and watch TV. So goals are specific. That'd be, so number one, name a surrogate healthcare decision maker. And number two, try to help us out with your goals. Would you like us to resuscitate you in the event your heart should stop? That's a very good thing to put in there, yes or no. Uh, and 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 I, I do have to tell people the resuscitative efforts that people do are not as successful as you think, and they're a little bit more gruesome than you think. Mm. And so there's an article that was in the New York Times once some years ago that said how doctors die, and I'm fully in this camp. I've seen it. I've done it. I'm the one who's had to do CPR on a person, and it's not everything you think it is. Um, you know, bones break and it's, 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 it lacks some dignity and it's not all as, as successful as people might think. And so my healthcare directive clearly would say don't resuscitate me if, I'm, if, it, if it's nearing the end. So those are just some thoughts, Janice. It's a great question. But make sure you've named a person and then put do you want to be resuscitated and then some goals. If you have any other goals, like what does the quality of life mean to you? Those three things would be my top three things. That's a great question, yeah, good Jess. question. It's a topic for a whole hour conversation. Well, I'd love to have coffee and talk more about it to anybody who wants to, but we have to move on. But that was a, a it's a great question. Those three things. Very good. You know what we have to do? A quick break. Thank you, Janice, by the way. Uh, folks on the line, stay there. When we come back after this quick break, we'll pick up on your phone calls and text messages. The phone number, I see one line open, 651 Text is 81807. It's an open line show on Healthy Matters this morning. Right now, mostly cloudy in the Twin Cities. Currently 29 degrees, heading for 45. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. It's an open line show today. Your general health questions for Dr. David Hilden. Uh, and as you can see, doctor, uh, callers, texters. Let's uh, see if we can help out as many as we can. Teresa is calling from Cambridge this morning. Thanks, Teresa. How can we help you? I have a question, and thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Uh, What happens when a person sneezes and holds their nose? Do they sneeze through their mouth, or does this go back into the nasal? Just a quick question. Yeah, you know that that's an interesting one, and and it's a good question actually. Um, your your body sneezing is intended for a purpose. It is trying to get rid of some irritants in your upper airways, anywhere from your nostrils or your mouth which do get connected right behind your nose, all the way down into your lungs. So it's trying to forcibly remove irritants, things like pollen and dust and pollutants in the air. So it's a really a protective mechanism. But like as you've alluded to, who wants to like be sneezing all over the whole world there, Tracy? So some of us close our nose or our mouth. It is better to sneeze and let it out into something, your sleeve or a tissue or something. If you simply plug your nose, you're going to sneeze out your mouth, and that's fine. Um, that is, that's perfectly fine. Um, you, you generally don't want to forcibly push 
mucus and all that crud up into your sinuses in your nose. So I would hate to say it, but I would let it out. Um, I would use <laughs> just you know. Now we're well beyond anything I learned in medical school, <laughs> but you know the proper sneezing technique. I think I didn't hear that lecture, but let it out. It's a natural response. Um, and I wouldn't plug up your nose or your mouth or anything. And if you're in a place where you can't be sneezing loudly, oh, reminds me of my grandpa, my grandpa Bradley. Holy cow, could he sneeze? I still remember <laughs> it to this day. He had the drinks. earth shook. Oh, you know, if you're one of those people, you know, I feel for you because you know you maybe can't be sitting in a quiet place and doing that. But um, in general, it's not a great idea to uh, forcibly push all that stuff back oh, in. So let it out. All right. I know we want to grab some text messages, but the Jim and Blaine has been uh, waiting. Jim, what is your question for the doctor? Uh, good morning, doctor. Uh, I have a question. I'll preface it. I had gastric bypass 14 years ago, lost 220 pounds and kept it off. But the problem I have is I can't take any ANSAIDs since the surgery because I guess it'll eat a hole in my new stomach. The problem I have is I have infrequent kidney stones and stuff like that. And with the opioid epidemic, they just tell me to take Tylenol, and that doesn't work all the time. And I, I signed the directive saying I wouldn't doctor shop and all this stuff. And what do I have to do to make a doctor understand that there's times where I, I need pain relief from, like, a kidney stone, which is atrociously painful? What do I have to do to get my doctor to understand? Jim, that is um, uh – Really, that's an insightful and an, a kind of an on-point question. Great question because the opioid epidemic is real. People are dying every day and we have misused opioids for treatment of non-cancerous long-term pain. So that's a whole different subject. But as anybody and, and uh, who's had kidney stones will tell you, that is ranks way up there in, in terms of things that can hurt. And so I really feel for you. My first – a couple comments – First of all, Tylenol isn't going to help, so I'm with you on that. That's not likely to touch your pain. Secondly, um, non-steroidals aren't probably as hard on you as maybe you've been led to believe. You know, an occasional ibuprofen isn't going to hurt, um, occasional. It's just if you're doing it over and over and over. Um, so I'm not sure that that's such a bad idea to take a couple of Motrin or Advil. But that being said, if you are having a short-lived acute, meaning – pain that came on from a new condition like a kidney stone and is likely to go away in a few days, that is in many people's books, including mine, a reasonable time to take a stronger pain medicine, even an opioid. Um, we, we do prescribe short-acting opioids in limited quantities for limited periods of days. And one of the what I would call legitimate times to do that is when you're having uh, a kidney stone. There are some other ones that you might go to like an emergency room. They might give you Toradol or they might give you Dilaudid or morphine and those are reasonable in that case. What I would not do is take home a whole supply of opioids. Don't go home with 50 Percocets for your kidney stones and just save them because that's how people get into the wrong to, into the wrong habits. But you know, you take a limited supply home with you from an emergency department or for a, a clinic – you, know, you take six or ten or fifteen of those opioid tablets home, and that can help you out. I don't know how I can get you to how, to convince your doctors. Um, we're in a tough time. It's um, I don't want to like say "woe is us" being the doctors. That's not a right thing to say, but it's a tough decision. It's sort of you you get in trouble either way in yep. today's market. If you under treat pain, you're 
you're criticized. And if you prescribe opiates, you're also criticized. So it's, it's a little bit of a tough time. But I think what you are describing, Jim, is a reasonable time for a very short supply. All right. I'll tell you what. Let's, uh, let's grab Karen's uh, call. Then we'll uh, pick up on some text messages. Uh, Karen in Minneapolis, you're on with Dr. Hilden. Hi. Good morning. Um, what's your opinion on the new shingle shot that's out? It's great. Um, Karen, in my that's my short opinion. Uh, the first shingle shot was um, uh, was called um, oh, what was it called Zostravax or something like that. It was pretty darn good. It helped more than half the people um, to lower your risk of getting shingles, but it wasn't that good. The new one, which I believe is Shingrix or something like that, um, the newer one is something like ninety percent effective, which, as vaccines go, is fantastic. That's really good. So it's it's better than the first generation shingle shot. So if your insurance covers it and you meet the criteria, or even if your insurance doesn't cover it, it's worth doing. It is it is an improvement, and um, I've seen so many people with miserable complications of shingles. I do recommend it if you're age sixty or consider it in your fifties. But um, certainly at age sixty, the new one seems to be a, an improvement. Text earlier uh, sent a text to 82 and female having sleep problems. Do you recommend – what do you think of melatonin? Have you ever recommended that? I I have started to recommend melatonin and that's a new thing for me. Melatonin is a naturally occurring substance in your body which starts to rise. The levels start to rise a little bit before sleep, an hour or two or three before sleep and that's what helps us naturally fall asleep. So it makes some sense that if you gave a little more of it, you might sleep better. So it it appears to be really safe. You can get it over the counter and it might help some people um, sleep. And so it's better than a lot of the things we could prescribe. So I do – I think it's worth giving a try. The the one thing I would say about it is that a lot of people take it five minutes before going to bed and then wonder why it doesn't work. It's not Valium. It's not like – it's not like an active sedative. It is simply a natural hormone that we're giving your body. It needs some time to work. So take it one to three hours before you go to bed. Take melatonin right after dinner, and that might help you get oh. to sleep that evening. We have about a minute before the break, another half hour of the show to go. I know you can talk about this laparoscopic hernia repair using mesh. Hey, I think I had that done. I think you oh, wait, did. Mine wasn't laparoscopic. Oh, it wasn't. I have had a hernia repair surgery myself. That's probably too much information for all of you. And I have mesh. <laughs> mesh is simply looks like window screen. But I think it costs a lot more. I'm sure. Although I asked the surgeon, I said, did you go down to Home Depot and buy my uh, mesh for my surgery? Probably not. He goes, oh, no, this is sterile, nylon, blah, blah, blah. Um, It helps to hold things in. Laparoscopic means they're not going to cut you open with a four-inch long incision. They're just going to put small little holes. And so it is the upfront recovery is easier Mm -hmm. if they do it laparoscopically. The um, mine was done open, which maybe stings or hurts a little bit more for a few days, but some people think is more durable. Uh-huh. So durability versus less um, upfront complications, it's probably a wash. Do whatever your surgeon suggests. All right, very good. We'll uh, take a break. Here we have, again, another half hour of the show to go. If you want to phone in your general health questions, we have a line open, 651-989-9226. Or if it's easier, and we'll pick up again on more uh, more text messages, 81807. We have a bunch of those to help out. Mostly cloudy now in the Twin Cities, 29 degrees. We'll be back with more of Healthy Matters here on 830 WCCO. Stay with us. 
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare, with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome back to more of uh, Healthy Matters. This is an open line show today. That means your general health questions for Dr. David Hilden, either by phone, and there is a line open, 651-989-9226, or send a text. We've got a bunch of those, 81807. If you're just joining us, uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, big, exciting day tomorrow. Big day tomorrow. Thanks, Denny, and welcome to all everyone listening. Thank you for tuning in. Um, to the show today. And thank, I, I did want to say thanks to uh, uh, Lauren and Lori and Dr. John Cole for filling in last week from our from the Minnesota Poison Control Center. So I do appreciate that. We're going to do an open lines this weekend, next week for that matter. Um, this is a great week in downtown Minneapolis. The Hennepin Healthcare Clinic and Specialty Center opens tomorrow, March 26th. That's a date I've had on my calendar for about two years. Well, maybe we didn't have the exact date two years ago, but um, for, for a long time, we've known March 26th is a huge day, and I've been in the clinic building nearly every day of this past week or two. It's ready to go. The artwork is on the wall. If you end up being a patient at the at the new building downtown, look at the artwork. It's fantastic. Some 600 pieces of the artwork were actually done by Hennepin employees, and the skill of the employees is incredible. So, okay, it's not the Louvre. You know, it's not the Met in New York. But I'm telling you, there's some beautiful local scenes, a lot of photography. I saw a beautiful picture around the Minneapolis Lakes that was done by an employee of Hennepin. It's on the wall in the clinic. There's some paintings. There's a four-story high piece of glass artwork. There's a mobile in the lobby, a mobile like like over a kid's mm-hmm. baby crib, but it's a huge three-story high glass wow. mobile that hangs from the ceiling. And, of course, the healthcare is state-of-the-art. It's not just a building. It's We're bringing a 1,000 people into that building who are going to provide some of the best health care around. It's the new clinic and specialty center of Hennepin Healthcare. If you're wondering what Hennepin Healthcare is, that's my organization. We um, we have evolved into a system of health care with clinics all over the metro area, particularly in the western side. In downtown Minneapolis, we have home hospice, we have visiting nurses, we have a paramedic service that is second to none, our emergency medical services. We have a trauma program, traumatic brain injury, a sleep center. I could go on and on and on. But what the point being is that we're more than the hospital. So HCMC is still the hospital. It's the one that you have come to know. If you grew up in the upper Midwest, you know it as the premier safety net hospital in the in the country, I believe. And HCMC isn't going anywhere. We've been around for over 120, 30 years, and we're going to go on for the next, I hope, 120 years. But we have expanded our, our footprint so much that we have rebranded ourselves as Hennepin Healthcare. You've maybe seen some of my colleagues on buses and light rail trains and billboards. Hennepin Healthcare, we're here for life is our new tagline. And the point being is that we're, that is all of us, part of your community here. We are here where you are. 
and we're here for to help make your lives better. So Hennepin Healthcare is who I work for. So that is that. I do want to uh, alert you to one more thing. Um, the, the blog, myhealthymatters.org, is the site that is associated with this program. I put a new post on this week that, that tries to explore the relationship between your body fat and your risk of heart disease. Mm. And everybody knows that it's not great to be overweight, blah, blah, blah. We all know that. So, But there was a recent study done saying how best do you even measure how much you weigh uh, or how much body fat you are? Is BMI, body mass index, the way to go? Is it – your waist circumference? Is it just simply having a beer gut? And there are all these different ways to measure how much body fat you are. And so I look at that a little bit in the blog post, and then we talk a little bit about heart disease. There are links to ways where you can calculate your body mass index. There are links to, to where you can calculate your waist to hip ratio, which is another cool way to measure body fat. I even talk about body types being looking like pieces of fruit. Are you an apple? Are you a pair? Find out. It's, that's at myhealthymatters.org. And the best way to do that is, of course, to subscribe by email. That way you'll get a notification when there's some new material on there. Um, and there's no ads or marketing or any of that. Just myhealthymatters.org and subscribe by email. Very okay. Should right. we, we have a zillion texts. Should we start with Let's a couple Let's start with some texts, shall we? Yeah, let's, let's do, do that. Them. There's a zillion of them, at least. Um, here's one that says, how serious is a prolapsed uterus? So this, my response will have to come with a caveat. I'm not a gynecologist um, who are skilled surgeons and doctors of women's reproductive um, organs. So, but I can tell you what I know from my perspective. Prolapse means your uterus is falling. It's, it's, it's shifting downward. It's heading south with gravity. This can happen particularly with women who have had um, uh, many pregnancies or even one pregnancy, but more more pregnancies um, leads to a weaker pelvic muscle, pelvic floor muscles. So the uterus can actually kind of prolapse down in the vaginal canal. And it can be just a teeny bit, and so you might not even notice it, or it can prolapse pretty far down so it's darn near visible. And so is it serious? Well, it can, it can lead to um, complications, if you will. It can lead to complications of urinary incontinence. It can lead to complications of pain or bleeding. So if it's prolapsing quite a ways down, I would see a, gyne- a gynecologist, and the, that surgeon can help you out. Um, there's varying degrees of prolapse. So is it serious is sort of a relative question. All right, let's uh, grab some calls, too, in between some text messages. Ed is calling from Burnsville with a question. Ed, the doctor's listening. Morning, fellas. Uh, I've got uh, peripheral neuropathy from my uh, diabetes. I've had it probably eight years or so. It's up to the knees already. How much further up will it be going? Good question, Ed. Um, it could go all the way up to your inguinal area or your, your groin. It could. Um, has it been, Ed, if you're still there, has it come, did it start out in your feet and then gradually work its way northward? Yes. Yeah. That would be the most common, <clears throat> excuse me, peripheral neuropathy when it's due to diabetes is due to the microvascular um, changes of too high of blood sugars in the microvascular, just the teeniest little blood vessels and the like that supply the nerves. Um, that's, and there's, there's direct nerve damage. The longest nerve in your body is the one that supplies your legs 
particularly your feet. And so the, it's the end of the nerves that get affected first. And like Ed is saying, it starts in your feet, usually a numbness or a burning or a pins and needles or something like that. And it works its way up from the feet to the ankles to the shins and calves to the knees, and it can go even further. It can be your whole legs. Um, uh, it's far more common to be down below the knee. So it's not for sure that it's going to keep going further. Um, what we generally tell people is make sure you're using good footwear. Make sure that you're st- steady on your feet. Never, never, if you're a diabetic, go walk around barefoot or even with socks. Wear some hard-soled slipper around the house. Um, wear good <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I got some in my throat. Wear good sneakers, good walking shoes when you're out and about. The reason being, if, you're, if you have a neuropathy in your feet, you can't feel it if you have – a cut in your foot or something that might just annoy another person. You get a cut in your foot or you step on a tack or something. A diabetic with neuropathy might not feel that and that can get infected. So always wear good footwear. There are medications you can try, Ed. You probably already tried some of them. Neurontin or gabapentin, amitriptyline um, or Elevil, uh, Lyrica, which is generic pregabalin. Those are some choices. There are some medications to try and then, of course, keep your sugars under the best control you possibly can. A texter said a friend is starting a new medication for high blood pressure and now seems to feel chilly all the time. Have you ever heard of any correlation between body temp and blood pressure? Not really. No. No, I, that's an interesting one. No, not really. Um, but anytime you put a new medication in your body, it's possible. It is possible that it has slowed down your metabolism. This person maybe is taking a beta blocker, for instance. Beta blockers are really good medicines for your heart. They're really good if you've had a heart attack. They're a second-line treatment for blood pressure. It shouldn't probably be the first thing. They usually end in the suffix L-O-L, and that doesn't mean laughing out loud. It means like metoprolol or carvedilol or um, things like that, atenolol, L-O-L. Um, so maybe, maybe this texture is on one of those and it's making them feel a little bit cold. But um, if the symptoms came after you started a new medication, talk to your doctor. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a different medication you can try. All right. I t- tell you what. We need to take a quick break. Let's do that. We'll come back with more calls, more text messages. It's an open line show today on Healthy Matters. In the Twin Cities, mostly cloudy, 29 degrees on CCO. We'll be back. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. It's an open line show today. Your general health questions for Dr. David Hilden. And I know we have, as you can see, Doctor, we have uh, many texts. We have uh, many callers. And there was a follow-up question. We talked about the shingle shot earlier, and a texter wanted to ask you, should the person have the newer shingle shot if you've already had the older, less effective version? I don't know. You know, I don't either. I think so. Yeah, I'm going to get back to you on that okay. one before All I right. say for sure. Um, um, texter, stay tuned. I believe so. It's m- maybe a little less important because you have pretty good protection. Right. But um, I don't see a danger in doing it, so I think you're okay. All right. Let's talk to Glenn, who's calling from uh, Coon Rapids. Glenn, you're on with the doctor. Hello. Hi, Glenn. Yeah, I got a question regarding prostate. I have a small enlargement. I'm 82 years young, and I've had it for a number of years, and I just was wondering, can a prostate problem cause to have weak legs? And I also take a, a dietary supplement called Prosta, P-R-O-S-T-A, gland, if, that's, if you're aware of that one at all. I'm not aware of that one. Do you know what's in that one? Well. 
That's yeah, I've got the bottle in front of me. There's a number of things. <laughs> yeah, there's probably a whole bunch of stuff in there. It's probably got saw, palmetto, and some other things in there. That one, um, it probably isn't going to hurt you, I wouldn't imagine. I don't know that there's any evidence that it's going to help. But um, can l- let me get um, back to your initial question. Can you have weak legs from prostate problems? And my initial response would be that would not be the most common uh, problem with prostate. So when if you have a big non-cancerous prostate – in other words, what we call BPH, which stands for benign prostatic hyperplasia. Benign, non-cancer, prostatic, your prostate gland, hyperplasia, overgrowth. It's growing too much. Um, it just gets big. And the problems that are common, common, common are urinary. You might dribble. You might have a weak stream of urine. You might just kind of um, have trouble starting the stream of urine. You might have trouble stopping the stream of urine. Um, you might have to get up to urinate frequently, especially at night. Those are all very common. Now, if you have prostate cancer that has spread, that could lead to leg weakness. So, um, but you would probably know you had all you had prostate cancer before it led to leg weakness. That would be a, an advanced symptom because that would mean your prostate has spread to your spine and it's affecting the nerves. So I think they might not be related, but I can't be sure. You could be weak just because you're dehydrated or something. So that one, it's hard for me to say. As as for the over-the-counter prostate supplements, I don't know what that one is because there's just so many. And I don't generally recommend any over-the-counter prostate supplements for men. They're not known to be effective. They're probably not harmful, but they're not known to be effective. All right, let's uh, go back to the phones, then we'll grab some text messages. Tom is on a cell phone, uh, I believe. Uh, Tom, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Say, my question is about bruising. Uh, I started bruising probably in my middle 60s and uh, 70s now, and uh, I was curious to see if there'd be any relationship. Uh, I also developed anemia. And uh, is there anything you could do about it? It's probably more irritating than anything. Yeah, um, it, that's a good question, Tom, and I would definitely have it looked at, though, even more. Bruising in and of itself, mild bruising isn't the problem. You can get over that, a couple bruises here and there, no biggie. But it could be the sign of an underlying bleeding or blood disorder. And if you're anemic, that, that is a blood disorder. And so I need to know why. Why are you anemic and why are you bruising? And because there are – it could be something very benign. Maybe your platelets are just a little bit low. That could lead to bruising. But that wouldn't lead to anemia. Those are two separate things. Anemia is a low hemoglobin. Platelets lead to blood clots. So you could have – you should have a complete blood count, a CBC done for sure. Find out what your hemoglobin is, what your platelets are. And then I would see a hematologist or – a primary care doctor who's pretty with the program here who can do more tests where they take your blood and put it on a glass slide and look at it under a microscope to look at your cells, where they can run some more tests on your iron studies and there's some more tests they should do. Um, It could be something all the way from uh, very benign things all the way to blood malignancies or cancers can um, sometimes show up that way, leukemias and lymphomas. I'm not suggesting you definitely have those. In fact, I, you probably don't. But it's worth a look of a full hematologic or blood evaluation. Got a text from Steve Doctor from Lake Lillian. I wanted to know. I know you know neurologists at Hennepin, but those that work with epilepsy, 
could could this person just call in to uh, to to Hennepin? Absolutely. We um, I would recommend Ten Bit Demaru. She is she is our chief of neurology at Hennepin. If you want mm-hmm. a neurologist. Uh, or Sam Miser, M A I S E R, or any um, those, or maybe one of the what, guys who's been practicing the longest at Hennepin is a guy, um, a guy named Scott Bundley, B U N D L I E. He is, um, he's he's uh, a, a master neurologist. Let's just put it that way. Um, call six one two eight seven three sixty nine sixty three. That's six one two eight seven three my md to see any of the neurologists at Hennepin. Doctor Emaru is the chief of neurology. That's E M I R U. Um, she is fantastic. Let me just put it that way. Uh, texter wanted to know about the pneumonia shot. If I get the ex- expensive pneumonia shot, can you still get pneumonia? Yes. <laughs> it's possible. In all vaccines, you can still get it. It's only but partially. It re- yeah, it reduces your risk and it reduces the chances that if you get it, it's going to be serious. So people say, well, I had the vaccine and I still got it. What was the point? Well, you wait till you see what your pneumonia would have looked like had you not had the vaccine. You would have been much sicker. And your chance, it's a, it's a risk game. It's like playing the casino at Las mm-hmm. Vegas. It reduces your chances. It's not a guarantee. It reduces your chances. So, yes. Um, for those of you who have texted in, I'm going to um, save all these text messages, and I'll put a blog post up about them like I do every now and then. I just try to answer more text questions because I didn't get